Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here to provide an update on COVID-19 in the province of Alberta with the Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. For the last five weeks since we began Step 1, and in the two weeks since we entered Step 2, we've been able to enjoy life in a different way than we have had over the past two years. With the majority of restrictions lifted, we've gathered with loved ones, visited restaurants, played sports, and made our own decisions about masking outside of settings like health care facilities where they're still required. I know this shift has been easier for some than others, and I know that many have cautiously been watching to see what impact, if any, these changes may have had. So I'm pleased to report that it does not appear that easing measures has caused an uptick in numbers since we entered Step 1 on February the 8th. We continue to see a decline or plateau in both our lagging and leading indicators. There's been some variation in the positivity rate for PCR tests, but overall, since Step 1 began, it has dropped by 7%. There's also been a continuing steady decline in the most important lagging indicator, hospitalizations. Today, hospitalizations are down to 989, including 70 in ICU. Both those figures are down by around 40% from when we began easing measures. It will take time for hospitalizations to get down to the level before the fifth wave, but this is promising news for the health system. Our health care workers have given their all to care for Albertans through the ups and downs of the pandemic. They need relief, and they're beginning to get it. Alberta is going through a period of transition. As we shift out of crisis mode, and move toward an endemic response, we can make adjustments to the way we operate. Which is why I would like to announce two changes that we are making to our COVID-19 response. First, we are modifying our public data reporting. Beginning next week, we'll join other provinces, such as Saskatchewan, in reducing case and outbreak reporting to once per week. Data for the previous seven days will be available each Wednesday. With this shift, we'll also consolidate some of the data posted to alberta.ca to reflect the most relevant current information. For example, as contact tracing currently is being done only in high-risk settings, we're removing the source of exposure graph that lists most cases as being from an unknown source. I know this will be adjustment for some Albertans who have become used to checking the website on a daily basis. Throughout the pandemic, Alberta has been a leader in reporting, providing more comprehensive data than other provinces and territories. We have been and remain committed to ensuring Albertans have the information they need, but we've also adjusted as we went. Early on, we provided numbers seven days a week and held media availabilities like this five times a week. That was critical when little was known about the virus. But we're at a point where trends over longer periods of time are more relevant than day-to-day -day fluctuations. I want to be clear that Alberta Health, including Dr. Hinshaw and her team, will continue to closely monitor the data here as well as emerging evidence from other jurisdictions. And they'll bring forward any policy recommendations if and when needed in the future. Another change we're making is to our employer and service provider rapid testing program. Throughout the pandemic, Alberta has had a robust rapid testing program we started with the employer and service program to help reduce transmission in higher risk workplaces. 
We've ensured rapid tests are available in critical environments, including continuing care sites, homeless shelters, and in schools. And since December, we've expanded the at-home rapid test program to provide access to rapid tests for all Albertans. As of last Friday, we distributed over 34.2 million tests, including 13.2 million directly to Albertans. Our government has worked hard to ensure that there is ample supply. Now that rapid test kits are broadly available to all Albertans, and employer scaled down mandatory testing programs, we're winding down the employer and service provider program as planned. This program has been focused on regular asymptomatic testing at work sites, which is no longer required in the majority of settings. As of April 1st, the program will only be available to employers and service providers who care for vulnerable populations. This includes AHS locations, as well as long-term care, designated supported living and hospice facilities, primary care, child care, K-12 school staff, and community services that look after vulnerable populations, including shelters and residential addiction treatment facilities. That being said, I want to remind all Albertans that free rapid test kits continue to be available at pharmacies across the province. A list of locations with kits in stock is available on the Alberta Blue Cross website. To make the process even easier, healthcare number is no longer required. Finally, as our initial pediatric vaccine drive concludes today, I want to let parents and guardians of children know that we're adjusting the hours of walk-in pediatric vaccine clinics run by AHS. Until March 31st, AHS clinics will continue to offer flexible hours, including some evening availability to maximize opportunities for eligible children to be immunized. Availability will vary throughout the province. To find an AHS clinic with extended hours and walk-in appointments, please visit ahs.ca backslash vaccine. A reminder, parents and guardians can also book appointments online for children's age 5 and older through the Alberta Vaccine Booking System or by calling 811. Additionally, children's vaccines are still available at a number of pharmacies across the province, so for more details, please go to the Blue Cross website. I want to thank every young Albertan who has rolled up their sleeve to get the COVID vaccine. You've helped protect yourself and those around you from getting seriously ill from COVID-19 and also helped to protect our healthcare system. Even though many things are changing, I want to remind Albertans that we know how to best protect one another. Vaccines offer our best protection against severe illness for each of us and for all of us together. As well, each of us is free to judge what safety measures make sense for our own personal situation, and we need to respect those choices. COVID is not over, but it's time to move forward. We're learning to live with it, and each of us will do that in our own way. And we all still need to follow the measures that remain in place, including masking in high-risk settings and isolation for people who have symptoms and have tested positive. Thank you, and I'll now invite Dr. Hinshaw to the podium to say a few words. Thank you, Minister, and good afternoon, everyone. I want to begin today by speaking about the process our team goes through to ensure that the numbers we report to Albertans are accurate. This process is particularly important when it comes to severe outcomes such as the number of lives lost to COVID-19. 
In our regular reports, deaths where COVID has been flagged as a possible cause are included even if it is not yet confirmed at that time. Then health staff review the death certificate and files of any cases where the cause of death was unknown at the time of reporting to determine whether the virus was a contributing cause. If it is found that COVID was not a primary or contributing cause of death, we remove those deaths from the count of lives lost to the virus. Our most recent review has found that there are 16 previously reported deaths between December 21st and February 11th that did not have COVID-19 as a contributing cause. 38 other deaths reported in this time frame were also reviewed, and in those cases it was confirmed that COVID was a direct or contributing cause of death. This means that with the four new deaths that we have had reported to us in the last 24 hours, the total number of deaths in Alberta related to COVID-19 will be updated today to 4,013 deaths, a net decrease of 12. While getting the data correct is very important, we cannot lose sight that each of these numbers, no matter the cause of death, represent a life lost and the loved ones left behind to grieve them. My sympathies go out to all those who have experienced a loss, no matter the cause. I also want to pause on this total to reflect on the impact of COVID compared with other kinds of infections. In the three years before COVID, from 2017 to 2019, there were a total of 1,076 deaths from all infectious causes in all ages. COVID has taken almost four times more lives in just two years. Thankfully, vaccines have blunted the risk of severe outcomes, giving us the opportunity to change how we are managing this virus. At the same time, COVID is still a disease we must take seriously. Moving on to today's update, over the last 24 hours, we have identified 593 new cases of COVID-19 and completed about 3,200 PCR tests, which puts our positivity rate at 18%. As the Minister mentioned, there are currently 989 people with COVID-19 in hospital, including 70 in the ICU. From the beginning of the pandemic, I have been committed to ensuring Albertans have had access to timely and accurate information about COVID-19. That priority remains today, two years later, and as we find ourselves in a very different situation than when COVID first arrived in Alberta. That is why I believe that modifying our public reporting to once a week, as the Minister just announced, is the right thing to do. We will continue to post data to alberta.ca each week, and a summary will be shared via my Twitter account. I will also provide any other relevant updates in a weekly media availability. As I said last week, and as the Minister has spoken to today, change is difficult, especially when there is no single correct answer to the difficulties we face. This reporting change may be challenging for some of us who have grown accustomed to seeing numbers daily. I know for many, this has been a way to help make sense of a seemingly surreal situation. Fortunately, we are in a different place now. Not only do we have a better understanding of the virus, but we also have highly effective vaccines and antiviral treatments, and reducing the frequency of reporting is what makes the most sense in our current situation. 
As always, I remain committed to keeping Albertans informed and will recommend modifications if needed in the coming weeks or months. Before concluding, I want to advise Albertans of the new guidance we've put online for at-home rapid test sample collection. We've heard questions from Albertans about the evidence on the Omicron variant that indicates that taking a sample by swabbing both the mouth and nose is more effective at detecting COVID-19 infection when using a rapid antigen test. While sampling the nose is still more effective than the mouth if taking a sample from only one site, it has been shown that sampling both the mouth and the nose before processing the test can improve the ability to detect the virus. For those who want to improve the sensitivity of at-home testing, we are providing information about this option on our website. The overall process remains similar, but there are a few additional steps when collecting both oral and nasal samples. A video outlining the process for swabbing the mouth and nose is available on the rapid testing section of our website at alberta.ca. I want to repeat that if only one site is sampled, it should be the nose. Studies have shown that sampling the mouth alone is not as sensitive as only sampling the nose. Also as a reminder, if you are symptomatic and test negative, you are still legally required to isolate until all symptoms are gone. The COVID-19 assessment tool at ahs.ca slash COVID screen is available to help determine what type of care is needed based on your symptoms and with advice on how to best manage mild symptoms at home. Finally, I want to take a moment to encourage Albertans to continue to be COVID conscious and take the necessary precautions that we need to feel comfortable and that are appropriate to our level of risk. Tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, and I know many will enjoy gathering with friends or colleagues at a pub or party. And this month, students, teachers, and families may take advantage of spring break, with many families planning trips out of town. Whatever the occasion or cause for celebration, I ask that we think about what we and others around us need to balance the risks of COVID with the benefits of enjoying more of the activities we love. The precautions we've grown accustomed to over the past two years still work, and they are still available. Planning outdoor gatherings as the weather improves is still an option. Masking remains a reasonable public health precaution, especially for those with risk factors. It also remains mandatory in continuing care and healthcare settings and public transit to protect those who are most vulnerable to severe outcomes. And most importantly, if we're not feeling well, we still need to stay home. By doing so, we will help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and other infectious diseases. Thank you, and we're happy to take questions. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw and Minister. I don't see any reporters here in the room to ask questions, so I think we have a couple on the line. We'll go to the phone, please. Thank you, Quinn Older, Global News. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. I'm wondering if you can comment on BA2. Uh, what kind of presence does the variant have in Alberta, and are we monitoring it? We are monitoring BA2 separate from BA1, and over the past uh, couple of months, we've seen that the proportion of our cases that are BA2 is slowly increasing. Uh, we are still at less than half of our new detected cases that are BA2, so BA1 is still our dominant strain in Alberta. 
And it's important to remember that what we've seen in other countries is that while BA2 uh, seems to transmit more effectively, it does not seem to be a higher risk for severe outcomes. Uh, however, as we are watching the experience of other countries and watching our own data, it's another important reminder that COVID is not over and we do need to continue to be mindful about precautions as we go about our daily lives. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. A Quinn follow-up? Yes, do you think that this is going to have an impact on hospitalizations and are we prepared if this potentially turns into a sixth wave? What we've seen in other countries where BA2 became dominant early on is that uh, the combination of BA1 and then BA2 uh, did cause an increase in cases um, with uh, increase in hospitalizations. It's difficult to, to tease that apart. So, for example, in Denmark, uh, we saw that uh, BA1 and BA2 um, kind of combined in a single wave with a, a very high peak. However, it was manageable um, from what's being reported in, in the media that's available, uh, was manageable within the healthcare system. We are seeing that, for example, in the UK, there is a little bit of a rise in cases, a bit of a rise in hospitalizations, uh, but it's really unclear the magnitude of that increase. What I think we should expect is to have fluctuations in transmission over the coming months. Uh, we should expect to see COVID remaining with us for the next several months um, at, I would suggest, relatively similar levels of transmission, uh, which will continue to have people, some people ending up in, in hospital. Uh, I don't anticipate, given our current levels of vaccine coverage, um, and the relatively recent experience with BA1, I don't anticipate that we would see the same magnitude of impact. However, we'll continue to monitor and, of course, respond to any changing data uh, if that does not prove to be true. Thanks, Dr. Inchow. We'll go to the next caller, please. Carly Robinson, City News. Hi there. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, I guess I'm just wondering what type of mechanism will be in place to, to warn the public or let the public know when there is a potential next wave or a next variant uh, with, with less reporting? Is there a commitment to doing these updates again if we go back to where we were in, in one of the previous waves? I can start with that question. So, so the, the short answer is, is yes. Um, we will make... Uh, we'll, we'll, first of all, we need to do an assessment of of what the next wave might be. It, it may very well be BA2, maybe something uh, maybe something else, uh, but we will take the necessary steps to, uh, you know, as we have a, get a better understanding of what the potential impact is on our, on our, uh, our you know, hospital, uh, our hospitals and what measures we may or may not need to take, uh, we will continue to uh, update the, uh, update Albertans. Uh, we're, you know, in, in, at, at this point in time, we're going to be, we've, you know, previously we had, you know, multiple updates, you know, five days a week when, when that was a, uh, was that appropriate? We dropped down to two uh, throughout the Omicron wave. Now we're down to one. Uh, we're going to continue this for a, for a number of weeks, and we'll continue to watch hospitalizations. If if, if numbers keep continuing going down, and we no longer need weekly updates uh, and and media availabilities, we'll we'll still you know we we may change that down the road. Um, but if we if it's still out there, and we need to actually ramp up the uh, ramp up our communications, we'll do so. Uh, but it's going to be dependent upon what comes at us next, and and what the impact is going to be on our on our healthcare system. 
Dr. Hinshaw, anything further? I think the one additional comment I would make is that uh, one of the things that we're looking at is the fact that as we go forward, uh, COVID-19 will be one of likely several respiratory viruses that we need to be tracking and monitoring. So one of the things that we're looking at is an ability to regularly report on uh, respiratory viruses and the, the picture of what that looks like in the province because... Um, Again, it's the collective impact of all of the circulating viruses that will be important for our public health system and our acute care system. So that is something historically we have always, during influenza season, reported at least weekly on our influenza updates. And so at a minimum, that kind of reporting so public is the public is aware of what is circulating is what we're looking at. Uh, and then as the minister mentioned, adjusting that if needed, depending on what uh, the situation is at any given mo moment in time. Thanks, Dr. Hinshaw. A follow-up, Carly? Hi, yes. Uh, it's a bit unrelated, but still on the topic of public health. A uh, new research out of the University of Alberta suggests that the cost of excess sugar in Canadian diet costs the healthcare system anywhere between $2.5 billion and $5 billion each year. I'm wondering what uh, the, the minister, as well as Dr. Hinshaw's thoughts, are on, on mitigation of this, and is a sugar tax that's maybe used to lower the costs of more nutritious foods uh, something on your radar. Well, thanks. Thanks for the question. Uh, I haven't seen the uh, the research coming out out of that yet, so I'll be interested in actually taking a look at it and and then see what it, and, and work with officials to see uh, what may be a uh, an appropriate response to that. I don't know anything. If you had to add, Dr. Hinshaw. No. Okay. Nothing to add. All right. Thanks very much, Minister and Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, we'll wrap there for today. Uh, if you need to follow up with us separately, you can do that as always. And we'll see you uh, back here next Wednesday for our first weekly update. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.